if you're a vegetarian or a vegan, that implies that you eat vegetables. And if you eat vegetables every day, you're getting plenty of calcium. So research is starting to show us that a glass of milk might perhaps be one of the worst ways to obtain calcium. Uh, we're now starting to realize that a variety of plants being consumed throughout the day gives us just as much, if not more, calcium. You've been had. And what makes matters worse is you're allowing it. A lifetime of nutritional deception has forced us into the fight for our lives. We are the plant-based riot. We're here to tear down that curtain of secrecy created by our very own American food industry. A plant-based diet and a disease-free life are not out of reach. Make the choice. Today's episode is sponsored by our hometown realtor, soccer mom, plant-based warrior, Sherry Carr. You can find her at SherryCarrSellsHomes.com. That's C-A-R-R. Are you in the home hunting market? Are you in the LA area? Talk with Sherry. She's a great family-based realtor. I know. She was the one that showed my family our current abode. Say hello. SherryCarrSellsHomes.com. We want to thank Whisper Farms. Whisper Farms is a co-op of backyard farms and gardens providing greens and fruits available at the Atwater Village Farmer's Market. Come check them out. The tenderest in town. Talk to me, Mike. What are you bringing this weekend to the market? We have purslane. So purslane is a heat-loving vegetable. It's actually a succulent. So it's perfect for this time of year. And is it soggy or crunchy or what's the texture? It's crunchy and, and a little bit salty and a little bit sour. Wow. It's unlike anything you've ever tried. What's cool is that you look underneath the leaf, on the underside of the leaf, and you can see salt crystals, right? So this purslane is a nutrient accumulator. It's pulling minerals from the soil, putting them into the leaf, and then they're exuding out because they're at such high levels. Come get your purslane at the Atwater Village Farmer's Market, you guys. All right, you guys, we are the Plant-Based Riot. This is a weekly, commutable-length, 45-minute or so, evidence-based, call-to-action conversation about living a healthy and disease-free life. I'm Dan. I'm a husband, a father of three. I'm the one trying to raise a plant-based household for the past two and a half years. I'm on Facebook at Daniel Farnham and Instagram at Daniel.Farnham. I'm Mike. I'm a husband and father of two boys. I'm a stay-at-home dad, a plant scientist, and market gardener at the Atwater Village Market. I'm also on Instagram as Whisper Farms LA. I'm Brian. I'm a PhD at the Integrative Physiology Lab at the University of Illinois, Chicago. Uh, I'm a metabolic scientist focusing on diabetes. I'm a father of 2.5 kids. Um, and I'm here in Sierra Madre with you two wonderful gentlemen recording this podcast. All right. In this show, we are milking it. We're talking calcium and other plant-based vitamins that deliver what your body needs without the unfortunate side effects. All right. So I got one for you guys. What's going to kill you first, milk or cigarettes? That's a pretty good question. Um, if we compared the two, right, we looked at the harmful chemical agents that are in milk. And then we think about the same type of chemical agents that are in cigarettes. Um, both have negative ramifications on human physiology, right? 
We kind of don't want to have either of them. Um, but if we look at the time that we're exposed to milk, right? We start drinking milk at age five. Sure, right? be younger. I mean, come on. We start smoking cigarettes at age... 18, well, legally 11? 18. Well, I, you know, if you sneak into the woods while, you know, summer break and you go have a have a smoke with your friends. Um, yeah, but if you start thinking about the, the time in which we're exposed to the harmful agents in milk, um, just through mass exposure, we're getting um, more damage through that substance than cigarettes. So I'm going to say that milk wow. takes... The, the lead on that one. Wow. Yeah. Mike, what do you think? I think that uh, if you compare the, the effects of milk versus cigarettes, they seem actually similar to me. Okay. For example, if I, if I drink milk, I get chronic sinus congestion. Okay. And if I smoke cigarettes, I get, you know, a hacking lung. So I consider them both to be equally damaging. Okay. What about you? That's funny. We grow up seeing and hearing from our parents that smoking is bad. Smoking causes this. Smoking equals death, right? We see all those labels everywhere. Uh, and if you're saying dairy already has a head start by a decade plus, yeah, plus. and there's no labels saying dairy's going to kill you, right? And then all of a sudden, but wait a second, if we weigh this stuff out, uh, hold on a second here. <laughs> Maybe there need to be some labels on this. Uh, that's all I'm saying. Uh and that, that's what's so interesting is if you look at cigarettes or you look at alcohol, right, these things that we know have negative impacts on the body, especially long-term use of these things, right, lead to cancer, lead to liver damage, lead to kidney damage. Uh, the government makes sure that they tell us that on the package, right? You turn over any package, you look at the alcohol, it says this will cause A, B, C, and D. But on the other side of it, when you're purchasing milk, there is no labeling. No. In fact, the government says, we think you should drink two to three servings, eight ounces per day, and you'll live a healthier life because of it. So it's quite the conundrum to me. I, I'm very confused about it. And um, I, I think that we're at a point in time now where we're starting to question those dietary recommendations and what the government has told us, um, because it's at this point it's it's inescapable. The the correlations with milk and autoimmune disorders, and the correlations with milk and communicable diseases, and the correlation with milk and the development of chronic diseases, um, it can no longer be contested. So. We really have to consider that this substance may be something that is just as harmful or as impactful as cigarettes and alcohol. But the problem is, is that information's not out there and the people aren't aware of it. And if you try to tell people this type of information, they look at you like you're speaking another language, right? Or, um, but, you know, in our defense, a lot of these health organizations now, such as the World Health Organization, um, American Diabetes Association, American Heart Foundation, they're all starting to kind of direct their focus at milk as a, as a culprit in the development of a lot of these diseases and a lot of these issues. So uh, people may be in disbelief now, but I think over the next five to 10 years, that's going to change and people are going to start realizing that we have been drinking this potentially hazardous substance for 
most of our lives. And that's amazing. I think this is such a great topic to talk about, to, to you know, peel back the curtain a little bit and see what's going on here with this. Um, Mike, I know you have an opinion on this. Uh, bring us up to speed on on like uh, Milk's relationship with humans. Like, where did this right. where did this start to, to come off what you just said there, Brian, to your point? Where, where did Milk come from? And maybe where are we going? You know, the last question I want to say is going to be like, where are we in a thousand years? That's what I want to get to. But catch us up a little, a little bit on Milk's interaction with humans and, um, and where it's going. Okay. So uh, to ask yourself, why do, we, why do we drink milk? Why do we use it? Why has it become part of our culture? And, you know, if you, look, if you go back about 5,000 years, you'll find that, you know, when agriculture first began, we were often living in very difficult environments. So think of the Fertile Crescent. You know, you had these, these people who were wandering through desert climates, very fragile climates, where there wasn't a consistent amount of rain, so it was difficult to grow crops, difficult to grow vegetables, and, and uh, if you leave the tropics... See, this is, what, this is what humans have done. When you leave the tropics and you move north or south, it gradually becomes increasingly more difficult to store food because you don't have crops growing all year long. You have cold season, right? So how are you going to store food? The easiest way to store food is on four legs with animals, right? A cow or a goat, it can, it can roam the pasture. It can roam wild lands in search of foods that are not edible for humans, right? And they can convert that into milk that is edible for us. So in a way, in, in our humble beginnings, um, having goats living with us was useful because if you lived in a very harsh environment, a goat could help, to, help you to compensate for that difficulty, right? Uh, if you... If you fast forward in time to about a thousand years ago, um, where you have a lot more modernization, you have paved some of the beginnings of paved roads, some of the most crudest sewer systems you can think of, and a lot more people now, right? Once we get into the, the creation of cities and towns, you have people who are living in barns, peasantry, living in barns with their animals, um, coming in, in daily contact with their manure and uh, drinking their milk, sleeping in the very barns where these animals are. And you had uh, essentially um, the microbes of the, of the cows and the goats mixing with the microbes of humans. And this is actually where the measles virus originated. So by drinking cow milk, we inadvertently gave ourselves a measles virus, which somehow came about because of living in confined spaces with these animals. And so it, this, ca this caused all kinds of diseases and pestilences for us. We eventually got resistance to it, and we brought it to the new world, right? So about 500 years ago, the Spanish conquistadors made their way into the Americas. They encountered the Aztecs, and they brought with them the measles virus. The Aztecs had no resistance to this because they had not raised any dairy animals. And 
uh, the only the only domestic animal that that comes to mind is the llama in South America, which they used primarily for wool. And so, this was a devastating virus that that uh, was hugely damaging. Wow. Okay. So fast forward to today. Right. So today we've got we've got this modern world, and we're raising animals in even more confinement than before. However, humans have removed themselves from that, and we're but we're still drinking the milk remotely, and uh, we're still vaccinating ourselves. So okay, so I can say that a better way. We're vaccinating ourselves with the measles virus, and. Um, that's, that's the solution for us to continue to raise cattle in confinement from a distance. That seems crazy, right? That's, that to me, that's very obscure. And so like, if, if you think back from the beginning, why raise dairy animals at all? It's because of a difficult, a difficult lifestyle in a difficult environment. We're no longer there anymore. We're 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 far away from that. Exactly. So you're saying it was basically out of necessity. There was no other choice. Absolutely. And and also there were just certain regions in on earth where that was a necessity, right? If you're in the tropics, absolutely not a necessity. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, just raising um domesticating animals in and of itself was a mass a massive challenge. And so um, the fact that we were able to do it at all is is kind of miraculous. So let me ask you this: do you do you know if cattle, dairy cattle specifically, are indigenous to the United States? Like, is no, that, they're definitely not, not. Where are they from? They're native to Europe and Asia. Um, almost all of the domestic animals uh, are native to Europe and Asia, and um, so that includes pigs, cows, sheep, goats, horses. Mm. And um, what am I missing? Chickens, giraffe. <laughs> yeah, well, we've tried to domesticate that one, but that's <laughs> that's not an easy one. <laughs> I now want to taste giraffe milk. I need to put that on my bucket list. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'll throw this your guys' way. I like the history lesson. That was awesome. Moving forward, uh, where are we, and what are we drinking in a thousand years? Hmm. Is dairy on that? menu definitely not i think that uh as we start to understand uh, just how nourishing plants are and and uh just how uh how much Tender. more efficient it is to grow plants um that uh it, it'll be an easy choice to to eat a plant-based diet and also from an environmental point of view it will be a necessity to not drink milk Got it. And we're not bringing cows with us to Mars, I'm assuming, either. That sounds like too much work for me. (laughs) I don't want to do that. I don't know who would want to do that. (laughs) All right. Well, to segue into that, I don't know if you got something, Brian, but uh, so current system, how is milk made now? Right. Like, is it a big, all this factory milk? What is is that about? So CAFO comes to mind. What is that? So that's what's known as a concentrated animal feeding operation. Right, so, so these are the big milk, uh, big cattle, cows out in the outside of town, out in the suburbs, out in the countryside that you see, or out in the desert, wherever it is, right? With the right. thousands of cattle. That's right. 
So these are places where there's so many cows in one space that nothing will grow there because the soil has been saturated with manure. So there's, there's so much salt and it has become toxic. And um, these are the places where you find manure lagoons where their manure is placed in large, large ponds. And um, that's, that anaerobic soup is what gives a smell that you can pick up for hundreds of miles. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So by its very nature, Brian, milk substance is harmful. Um, so I'm still confused. Why is the story being told? Remember in, in the high school gyms with the posters all over the place? Yeah, Paint a picture. I, I remember not even high school, but middle school and primary school. Oh, yeah. I remember those, uh, you know, when you were told by your instructor to put everything in your desk, uh, under the desk, right? Get your lunch, line up at the front door, right? She would turn off the lights, or he, primarily she back in the day. Uh, and then you would walk in a single file line all the way down the hallway oh, and yeah. you would start hearing the ruckus of the gym that was transformed into a makeshift lunchroom. Uh, you would go sit down and uh, on every wall you would see some sort of milk campaign. You would see your favorite writers, your favorite athletes, um, television stars, all with the, the very famous milk mustache. There it is. Right? It was just, it was all right before your eyes, your entire childhood. Um, so we, we knew no better. Right? It, was, it was just essentially what we drank, and our heroes told us it was good for us, and that's how we maintained the consumption of, of that product. Um, you know, and they just had a, a really good campaign and it worked and they spent billions. Right. Got milk. They Billions. It does a body good. You know, like they spent billions on this campaign and they did a really, really, really good job of telling us what wasn't in it. Right. <laughs> but thanks to, you know, biomedical science, it's finally starting to catch up and we're starting to understand what's in it. Right. So by its very nature, yeah, it's, it's pretty harmful, which is why the pasteurization process is, is so important, right? Cause if we were to drink raw milk or we were to drink unpasteurized milk, we would be getting a, a dose of some pretty nasty things. Right. Um, what, what is that? What is, I'm, I don't, I don't know much about the whole pasteur, uh, pasteurization process. What, during that process, what is removed from milk? And what is it, better shelf life? Or, and, and why uh, is that done? They basically, f they heat it up. They heat it up. Uh, do you know the temperature, Mike? I think it's about 140 degrees. Okay, I Fahrenheit. thought it was 160, so somewhere around there. And they, they, it's done in a flash, a couple of seconds. And uh, it's done with the intention of killing whatever pathogens ah, see, might be yes. in there, right? Sure. So it's So essentially... It makes us. It makes it safe for us to drink. Um, you know, we could quickly provide you with some things that are in it that you may not know. There's a lot of bacteria in there. Uh, one that stands out is the Mycobacterium. Um, it's Mycobacterium avum paratuberculosis, also known as MAP. Okay. Um, and that is a bacteria that causes in cattle uh, Yone's disease, which is basically the cattle version of Crohn's disease. So these, these cows 
are passing diseases to themselves, which are communicable to us, and uh, we get the same symptoms and um, physiological results as what the cattle do. So um, basically, it's the same disease um, that's passed from them to us, wow. uh, filled with viruses. One of the one of the big viruses in it is the bovine leukemia virus. Um, cat, cat cows get cancer, right? They're living beings. They get sure. sick just like we do. Um, that virus can be passed to us, and research is now looking into that virus and making associations and correlations to levels of that virus with breast cancer. But wait, can, if milk, if you drink pasteurized milk, that pasteurization kills that virus, or you're saying it's supposed to kill that virus? Um, oh, you know, viruses and bacteria, they're, they're really good at surviving, they're really good at adapting and they're, um, they do a great job of surviving. Wow. So, um, you know, it's not a completely thorough process by any means. Even today, this happens now. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. So, uh, I mean, I mean, I'm surprised, I'm, I'm surprised that I would think that, uh, sure, I don't drink dairy milk because... Uh, of environment or animal or fat content, or I can find it. Maybe I can get calcium everywhere else. But you can get sick from the. I don't. I've. I just never heard. I've never got sick from dairy. I don't think. I mean, am I getting flu and nasal congestion? I don't know. But am I well, getting sick from it? I don't know. You know, s- sickness is is. It's not an on-off switch, right? A lot of ailments take time to develop, and uh, you know. Some take years. If you look at diabetes, the development of diabetes is a 10 to 15 year process. So discovering it and identifying it usually comes way beyond the onset of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, right. You wouldn't see it right away. So, um, you know, type 1 diabetes and autoimmune disease um, is now associated with the consumption of milk, right? So uh, type 1 diabetes is primarily found in children, right? It's an autoimmune disease that occurs very early in life where the the body recognizes a tissue or an organ as an invader and it essentially attacks it. Um, and now they're looking at milk consumption being highly correlated with really? Crohn's disease and type 1 diabetes and chronic inflammation. So some other agents that people should be aware of uh, in milk is uh, proteins, certain proteins that they're now starting to find. um, One of them being an engineered protein called recombinant bovine growth hormone, which is given to the cow. That's given to the cow. It's not, it's not an active substance in the human body. It's deactivated. Um, It can be found in circulation, but it doesn't do anything. Okay. So, but what that does uh, in a dairy kettle is it induces um, the upregulation of insulin-like growth factor one or IGF one um, that helps the the cow produce more milk essentially, but that is transmittable in the milk uh, to the human body. So when we consume uh, milk, we're getting this secondary agent that was induced by oh. a primary engineered agent that is increasing the levels of our. Uh, IGF-1 that we produce on our own. Is, is that bad to have more of well, it? Yeah, it's, it's a very potent growth signal. It's, it's mitogenic, which is, yeah, it's, it's, it will tell the cells to grow, tell the cells to divide. Uh, breast tissue so is So my very, man boobs is 
they're going down now, uh, by the way, but that's why they were partially big because I drank a ton of milk. Is that um, yes and no? But it's not IGF that is giving you the the luscious man boobs that you have. That's why they call it had. D, huh? Yeah, um, <laughs> you know the IGF protein is now associated with numerous types of cancer in, in both men and women. Um, the A1, A2 protein debacle that is now being researched in in cattle. Um, basically, A2 protein is a um, natural casing, beta casing protein found in milk. And due to the ways that we have raised the animals and bred the animals, that protein has now been mutated, and they call it an A1 protein. And essentially, the mutation occurs on the 67th amino acid residue, where I believe a, um, a proline that doesn't belong there is now placed on that residue. And that's associated with type 1 diabetes, ADHD, ADD, chronic inflammation. Um, I, do we have to call you Dr. Brian no, for now on? No, okay. I'm, I'm a working man. Okay. So. <laughs> smart, you're smart. I yeah, like this. I'm okay. learning here. Um, you know, E. coli is, is found in, in cattle's milk. Um, you know, we have the, the saturated fat panel that is also found in cattle's milk. Cholesterol. What, is, what does that mean? Oh, sorry. Yeah, you're getting okay. the cholesterol, the triacylglycerols, the saturated fat. All of these are associated with obesity, weight gain, cancer, diabetes, metabolic syndrome, hypertension. The, I mean, that everything. list is enough for me to, I mean, I could just, we could just stop talking right now. Yeah. I get it. I get the point. Yeah, I know where I, you're going yeah, with there's, this. There's, there's just so much in there that the milk commercials have failed to tell us. Oh, and then, you know, the tricky. last thing is, you know, back again to your beautiful breasts is there's a tremendous amount of uh, estrogen and estradiol and testosterone and uh, these very potent sex hormones that are circulating in the cattle, right? They're, they're pregnant. So these levels are elevated uh, and that's being transmitted into the milk. And those are very potent hormones that get into our body and but pasteurization doesn't deal with the hormone side of it, right? No, it's not. No, not necessarily. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yes. Milking it for sure. Uh, question for you, Mike, or maybe both, everybody here, but uh, this is a part of the show where it'd be kind of fun to, to dive into what's in my fridge. Uh, it's like we open our fridge and talk about what's interesting, what new products we're trying, any new tastes in there. Uh, Mike, you mentioned something the other day to me, and I thought this would be fantastic to talk about it because I had no idea what this was, and uh, you know, I was over picking up some trays for our uh, hydro beds, and I saw you eating this bowl of something with all this these green flakes dots all over it. That's duckweed, yeah, also known as water lentil. And you're growing this duckweed? Is this this is in That's your right. fridge currently? It is, and in your garden. It is, yes. Is it at what is going to be at Atwater Village this weekend? It is there, Dang. yes, under Are, the name Water Lentil. What, so, oh, yeah, they do look like little uh, lentil pieces, huh? Yes, and the the reason why it's called lentil is because it's more nutritious than than soybeans, and so it's it is its nutrient profile is similar to beans. Wow. Yeah, and it's the second fastest growing plant on Earth, and it also happens to have one of the highest protein levels of all vascular plants and um it tastes kind of like spinach it's very it's one of the easiest plants you could ever how grow. Do, what do you cook it what do you how do you do it eat it raw okay or so what i 
what I'm doing currently is I'm making an overnight soak oatmeal for myself. Oh, that sounds awesome. Uh, but not just oatmeal. So I'll, I'll add, you know, some pistachio, nut meat, some sliced almonds, some pumpkin seeds, sunflower seeds, some chia seeds, flax seeds. So a little, it's a um, little bit nutty, a lot seedy. <laughs> You're very seedy. <laughs> it's very seedy, a little bit nutty. So uh, after I cook this overnight soak in a pot, then I'll add a cup of fresh duckweed. And then I just kind of roll it in once it's almost done. Right, so it's just very, very slightly cooked. I see. Okay, and that's it's not crunchy or anything at that point, or is it no, ever crunchy? Is it? It has a little oh. bit of a bite to it, but it's it's mostly a smooth uh, spinachy flavor that I add in there. Wow, this sounds cool. Yeah. So I have a question for you. You said it has one of the highest protein contents for plants. That's right. So why have we not heard of this before? Especially now with the protein pandemic and scare that everyone. Everyone's rushing to the store and buying cases of protein because they believe we're so uh, under-protein-fed. So right. what, what, what's going on with, with that? Why have we not heard of this before? Well, I mean, it, one of its common names is duckweed, right? So duckweed... That doesn't um, sound attractive? Is that part of it? Yeah, that's part of it. I mean, it's it, the weed part of it kind of makes you think, you know, most people don't associate it with food. Yeah, like, I don't want to eat ducks, weed, right? Ducks, you'll find ducks eating it constantly in the and wild. that's why they can fly. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, grows on, it grows on every continent except Antarctica. And, you know, for maybe several decades, it's been, in a way, it's been, try, uh, humans have tried to eradicate it uh, because it, it tends to clog up waterways and rivers and lakes wherever it occurs. If it ever enters a body of water, it will never leave. It has microscopic seeds. It is, it's the world's smallest flowering plant, right? So this, this duckweed, if it goes wild, it's it can problem. cause problems. Yeah. Uh, However, if it's contained within an, an environment where you can carefully manage nutrient levels and harvest it daily and make sure that it doesn't escape, then it's, actually the easiest and most one of the most nutritious foods wow out, out there. all right well i gotta try i haven't tried this yet i do actually I, i've seen you eat eat it i want to try it uh question for you it's been a few minutes here and i can't figure out you said duckweed is the second fastest growing plant so what's number one what's number one algae of course oh okay yeah of course yeah <laughs> all right Cool. That's that's great, Brian. Any anything new that you've come across lately that, that you've tried or that you're trying or that you're serving your children? Yeah, a couple things, but I'm gonna wait for the sponsorship money to come in. There you go. You heard it. I actually divulge yes, that information. I love so, it. Uh, you will be receiving emails shortly. Yes, and if you want to get on this part of the show, send us send us some samples, send us some trials, give us some suggestions. We'll we'll uh, we're pretty good at cooking and trying different things, and we eat anything here. So let's uh, basically plant based eating anything, but let's let's try it. All right, so I think I'm catching up to speed here. We need the calcium, and dairy was a great way to get calcium. Is there, is is that the best way to get calcium for our bodies, or is there are there other ways to get calcium that our bodies can use more readily? Well, there's 
There's a lot of complications associated with calcium uptake and calcium absorption from milk sources. And of course, the most popular one is the lactose intolerance, right? So we've heard of that, right? So everyone's heard of that, but, sure. but what is it? What is lactose intolerance? So lactose is essentially a disaccharide sugar. Um, it's two monosaccharides that are combined together to make a disaccharide. And that disaccharide is composed of um, galactose and glucose. So when that sugar is consumed and it goes through the, the digestive tract and it gets into the small intestines, um, we produce a enzyme called lactase, which is responsible for severing that bond between the disaccharide and making two monosaccharides. Uh, and then those two sugars could be absorbed into the body and be used. So unfortunately, as we get older in age and we move past the age of milk consumption as children, which is age five or six, um, that enzyme is heavily, heavily downregulated. So that's where these milk intolerances come from um, is because that enzyme is, is basically we're not producing as much of it. So as a result of not being able to break this bond, um, lactose then moves into the large intestines where it will interact with gut microbes. Um, basically, they'll start to slowly digest it. A bunch of gases will be released, which is what causes the discomfort. Um, nitric oxide is made. Um, pressure is built up in the small intestines and water is basically uh, removed from the cells and brought into the lumen of the small, small intestines, which is how you basically get diarrhea. Um, so in this entire process, inflammation is present and we don't necessarily absorb as much of the calcium uh, as we could. So there's this process with a lactose intolerance or um, you know, having the inability to break down lactose is problematic with the absorption of other nutrients. So then, okay, how does that differ? Maybe, Mike, you can shed some light on this. The calcium that comes from dairy is different than the calcium that comes from plants to our body and, and bones and teeth. That calcium, does our body care where it comes from? And do can you get just as much calcium from plants? So, so the body doesn't care. It's not like iron where you have a heme and a non-heme iron where iron from animals has been shown to be more usable and more processable than non-heme iron. When it comes to calcium, the body doesn't care. Oh. So, uh, you know, Mike, tell us about calcium in plants and how plants deliver and provide enough calcium for our needs. Okay, so, you know, I learned... Um in plant science, uh, back at uh, Cal Poly Pomona, that calcium is the most abundant mineral in plants. And um, there's a good reason for that, because calcium is kind of a cementing agent between cell walls, right? So when calcium is absorbed into the roots of a plant, it is turned into calcium pectate, which is then used to cement together, to glue together plant cell walls, 
So what's holding together this entire plant is calcium wow. pectate. So uh, it's it's absolutely essential for plant growth. Every plant has it. They have to have it. Otherwise, roots will be stunted. Le- new leaves will be necrotic and twisted. And um, basically, calcium is is ev- is. <laughs> <laughs> plants are a rich source of calcium they're full of it <laughs> any plant just every, like, any just like Dan is full of it <laughs> yeah every plant has calcium and needs calcium to grow you know if it doesn't have calcium it won't grow okay so by eating a variety of leafy greens we're getting the calcium that we, a daily dose are we getting enough can I get enough calcium from plants per day that I was getting from dairy. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So let let's do a quick comparison, right? Okay. So if we look at if we look at milk, right? Um, gross calcium in milk is is two hundred and ninety one milligrams. That's like per cup or per at whatever. Yeah, per eight eight, eight ounce serving, okay. right? Um, the absorbable calcium, the bioavailability of the calcium from milk is only thirty two percent, which means that's all my body can get out of that. Body's going to to take up and utilize in that serving. In that serving of milk, um, you know, and a glass of milk is going to have 150 calories. It's going to have everything else that we talked about, right? All those that's what's going to my beautiful man little bugs. Yeah, you're you're right. Your man boobs, which hair, Mike has uh, Mike has informed us that he was actually thinking about milking those man man boobs. Wow. <laughs> All Mike, right. is that That's an opportunity? Make it rain. <laughs> oh, <God>. Okay, gross. <laughs> um, yeah, that's another version of lactose intolerance that I I, I have. <laughs> um, so, okay, based upon that information, if we look at um, Brussels sprouts, okay, Brussels sprouts has 19 milligrams of uh, total calcium, but of that 19 milligrams, 65 percent of it is absorbable. So, there's less total but more absorbable than a glass of milk. Okay. Um, in, in a serving of Brussels sprouts, you're going to get 60 calories, so you're going to get half of that of milk. If you look at kale, kale has 94 to 95 milligrams of total calcium, and of that, 53% is absorbable. Okay, so still higher than the 32% from, from milk. Um, broccoli, 83 milligrams per serving. Of that 83 milligrams, um, 41% of it is absorbable, and you get 48 calories. So if, if we were to sit down and have us a nice little vegetable medley of Brussels sprouts, kale, and broccoli, uh, just a single serving of each one on one plate, we would be getting far more uh, calcium through our diet and much more bioavailable, absorbable calcium. And even orange juice, if you look at orange juice, orange juice has 350 milligrams of calcium. So a glass of orange juice has more than a glass of milk. Uh, 37% of that is absorbable, which is still higher than a glass of milk, um, and less calories than milk. So, And we're getting those other, all the other vitamins and minerals that come along with yeah. plants that we're not getting from dairy. You're getting much more beneficial chemical compounds, um, anti-carcinogenic compounds, um, anti-diabetic compounds, no fat, no saturated fat, none of these Frankenstein proteins um, or hormones that we were talking about earlier. You're getting a a much cleaner source of the calcium. So this is interesting because 
calcium is calcium to our bodies, which is great. So it's clear uh, the pros and cons. I, I, I get that. It's, it's, gonna, uh, it's more beneficial to get calcium from plants. I want to talk about how does, how does calcium c- catch me up to speed on vitamin K and vitamin D and how those two relate to calcium in my body. All right, so I want to circle back on something. Vitamin K and D. If milk has calcium, milk also has vitamin K and D in it. If I'm cutting dairy out of my diet and lifestyle and I'm eating plants, am I getting the K and D that my body needs to make the whole calcium scenario work? Yes, absolutely. So you can get vitamin D just by going outside. And um, when you have vitamin D being made as a result of that sunlight, that gives you the absorption of calcium. And then we can talk about vitamin K. That's found in virtually all leafy greens. And it's a fat-soluble vitamin. So if you eat it with oil, such as uh, olive oil, you'll, you'll increase the absorption. What does vitamin K do? It directs calcium into your bones and teeth. And then D... Okay, so what does D do into calcium in my body? It, it, it allows it to be absorbed. Okay, so you need all you need. That's this is a, a pie here, right? You need all three. So yeah, essentially, vitamin D, uh, the active form of vitamin D, it's it's inactive when it's in our skin. So when the sunlight hits it, um, a chemical known as um, seven hydrocholesterol is converted into an intermediate, which is cholecalciferol. Um, that intermediate will then go to the liver. It'll be converted into another intermediate, which will then go to the kidneys, which will then be converted once again to calcitriol. And that is the active form of vitamin D. Uh, calcitriol will essentially communicate with the genes or the DNA in our intracytes, which are the cells that make up the lumen of the, of the small intestines, and will basically tell them to create more calcium-specific channels to allow more calcium absorption um, into the bloodstream. Okay, so vitamin, so calcium only works when you have vitamin D and vitamin K working in conjunction. Right, so it needs transporters. So calcium, just like Mike had mentioned earlier about it being the most abundant micronutrient in plants, is also one of the most abundant micronutrients in the human body. So therefore, um, so many cellular uh, reactions and physiological reactions and neurological communication all depend on calcium. So therefore, it has to be highly, highly, highly regulated when it gets into the bloodstream. We don't want too much of it there. So that's where vitamin K and vitamin D play a role in regulating how it gets in and where it goes. Wow. That's cool. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm just late. No, it's good. I'm just like... Uh trying to digest yeah this okay. is this is oh, there's a lot going on here i'm learning a lot and it's things are kind of making sense um maybe pose this question if you wanted to do a step-by-step depart from dairy what are some of the that you guys have have tried with your family um on your own we kind of use ourselves as uh, guinea pigs here on trying different things and and applying information right and trying this on our own um 
what have you guys done? Anything in particular? I know for me, cutting out of cheese was the hardest. That was the last thing to go. That was the hardest. The texture, the taste. Mm-hmm. Boy, I, I am a. I was addicted to cheese, and that took the longest. We found other spreads and other cheeses that we found, and we found some great ones that melt and great ones that taste good. And have the. We finally found it, but that was the hardest thing to break off on that. But any any cool little tricks or fun tasting things that you guys have tried departing dairy so fortunately there's so many companies out there now that are making alternatives right like when i became a vegetarian 23 years ago there was nothing there was the green giant veggie burger which tasted like cow shit i mean it was very planty and earthy um, and then Boca came out sometime, maybe three or four years later, and they changed the game by adding texturized soy protein and a little bit of garlic. <laughs> uh, but now over the past, you know, two decades, there's, there's so much out there to make the transition easier, right? And now the information is out there to help push you along that transition a little quicker, right? I mean, we're, we're giving you information that is so important to your health and your family's health and your children's health. And if you don't do anything with this information, then that's your folly. Um, I, I think one of the most important things you can do to start weaning yourself off of the dairy products is becoming aware of how much dairy is in our day-to-day foods. Um, Look at your packages, turn things over, see what type of milk proteins are in there, if lactose is in there, uh, if dairy is being used. Because one of the reasons people are becoming sick by this product is because it's in everything. So your exposure to it is constant, right? Whether it's the cheese on your Doritos, don't sue me, Doritos. Uh, Whether it's uh, the cheese on your pizza, the Parmesan cheese on your spaghetti, the the yogurt you had in the morning, the smoothie that you had with, um, you know, milk. When you're taking it in chronically, that's where problems are starting to develop. Wow. And uh, Farmer Mike, we were talking about this a few weeks ago, prepping some veggies for the farmer's market. Um, What did you say? Wean and go green. Uh, by adding a variety of leafy greens to your lifestyle. What are some of the things that you think could be added that would make things uh, help in that transition? Or just give us some ideas. I'm at the grocery store. Yeah, go eat a variety of greens. Okay, I'm here. I'm standing there. I'm like, what is all this stuff? I'm not even at the farmer's market. If I can go to the farmer's market, you can just tell me. But if I go to the store at whatever time and I just get, I don't want to be at the grocery store, right? And what do I grab? Like, what's what's something cool that I should try? Definitely go for a watercress if you can find it. I have it. I grow it. Um, another another shameless one, plug. <laughs> another one is is collard greens. How do you prepare that? It's excellent if you saute it in garlic and olive oil. That'll give you an immense amount of calcium plus vitamin K. Very. Also, if you have a cup of of almonds, you know, put some sliced almonds on your salad. Okay. Um, if you have some sliced citrus fruits, um, like oranges, or squeeze some lime, lemon or lime juice into your water, that's an easy way to get calcium. 
Um, but to be honest with you, even something as simple as leaf lettuce and spinach in your salad oh, is right. a great way to get calcium. And nut beverages, right? I mean, you could, that's that's another taste and texture and cashew and almond and soy. Yeah. Like, there's a bunch of these things a going on. A lot of these uh, milk alternatives, you know, soy milk contains just as much protein as cattle milk. You know, a lot of, you know, vitamin B12s, your fat-soluble vitamins, lower in calories, lower in saturated fat, your almond milk, your coconut milk. Uh, you know, you, you have to be aware and intelligent about which type you buy, you know, when you buy the vanilla flavored with, with all the sugar and yeah, all that. Yeah, with right? all the sugar, you know, you're. And it's the same amount of sugar than this. Yeah, you're, then you're, you're, you're not doing yourself justice, but it's potentially, you know, it's, it's a lesser evil than the real milk, you know. Um, and there's just a variety out there. And if, you know, you're looking for a, a fattier milk, so it has that same mouthfeel in your mouth, go with the cashew milk has much Amazing. more fat it's much thicker than you know the viscosity of it is much thicker than what you would get with soy milk and almond milk which is really runny and you know watery um but yeah there's there's options out there now and that's what's so great about this and the more options that are out there and the more the people that catch on to this movement there'll be even more options exactly. in the future so exactly. so rounding out our, our take-home seed packet here for for you guys at home to uh, a little call to action here. Um, Brian, I know you have a history of uh, mixed martial arts mm-hmm. and and you, you are into the, um, you spend a, a large portion of your day at the gym and, and working out. Yep. What's, tie in a little bit of, uh, what do you, what, what's a good takeaway that we can be doing? Right, so um, I obtained my master's in exercise physiology. And one of the things that, blew my mind. One of, the, one of the lessons that I learned early on is that muscle activity and muscle utilization is healthier to bone health than calcium or vitamin D or vitamin K. Um, so being active, getting up and moving and contracting those muscles on the bone uh, is great for muscle long or for, for bone longevity. Um, you know, if you look at you know, bone is a tissue. If you look at it under a microscope, it's it's very porous. So it looks like Swiss cheese. Uh, as we get older, the bones uh, begin to break down more than they regenerate, right? Which is where the onset of osteoporosis comes from, which is why we, we have to drink this you know, milk with calcium. Um, but if you put uh, elderly individuals through exercise regiments where they're working out with, with a load, right? Um, they're weightlifting, so they're increasing the load on the muscle, or they're running uphill, uh, or they're dancing. Um, these activities increase bone density because the contraction of the muscle starts to to shrink those porous holes in the bone, so the bone becomes more dense. So, what I would say is, milk is not as important as muscle activation and muscle contraction wow. against the bone and getting up and working out and exercising and moving. Get up off your ass and Get start up moving. off your ass and start moving. Damn. Exactly. That's awesome. Uh, Mike, we're always, we got a couple gardens up and running and I'm always trying to figure out, wow, this is complicated or is it easy or is it fun? Like there's a lot of different things. If I was to, to start this process at home, what's, what's the first step that I need? What's my how can I overcome my hurdle of like getting up and moving and doing something about it? And ultimately I want to garden in my house, but I don't know what to do. 
but what's like the what's the gateway there to kind of like what what could I be doing that um what's an easy thing for me to be doing to get the ball rolling well before i started gardening i started composting okay and, co- and that just means you're not throwing stuff down the drain or away or that's right orange peels or what i i started looking at everything that i was buying and where it was going and i i started to i started to become dissatisfied with the idea of throwing things away um especially organic things and so i felt like well, you know, walking out into my garden, I have I have some pretty harsh sandy soil in my garden, and I felt like, how can I nourish this? How can I bring life into this? You know, you can't you can't really grow a healthy garden unless the soil is healthy, and the easiest way to get healthy soil is to start composting. Wow, I, I do want to do uh, I want to make a, a I do need to do this actually, so I need to find a way to make some sort of a compost bin or what the best way of doing compost is i know you have a you've got you're big into the fruit trees and and you don't really do the compost bin outside where you're churning and all this stuff you're putting it right out there so the plants can use it but that's a certain uh avenue for for using this stuff but i i just in the back of my mind i'm like oh i need a nice fancy little compost bin someday but i don't know that's on my list maybe we can hit that up at some point um you guys we've come to the end of the the calcium conversation here do you guys have anything you want to add or is there anything that we overlooked or is a uh, was there a fun memorable takeaway that you want to reiterate on um i just want to offer that you you really need to empower yourselves with with these issues you need to educate yourself you need to read you need to understand that um your interpretation of these companies products is more important than their message they're trying to deliver to you. Um, so if I ask one thing of, of all the listeners, it's please start being aware and please start l- looking at what you're eating and peek behind that curtain. Um, you know, throughout my education, throughout all my clinical experiences, I, I can't even begin to tell you the type of people that we saw coming in with severe diabetes and the complications that they are living with the rest of their lives because of food and inactivity and because they're drinking Coke instead of water or their Coke don't sue me or they're, um, you know, eating fast food instead of fresh plants and a variety of plants. So, wow. Fantastic. Yeah. For me, I feel like one of the, one of the easiest ways you can benefit your health is to grow leafy vegetables. They're the, they're some of the fastest growing vegetables that you can ever grow and they're going to give you plenty of calcium vitamin k and getting outside to harvest those vegetables is going to give you the vitamin d that you need so for me um i think that the the most efficient way a person can benefit their health especially on a small scale is to grow any kind of leafy vegetable they can and start eating it as much as you can I love it. So it's conquistadors, composting, getting off your ass and working out. We hit it all, right? I mean, this, this, is, this, is, this is calcium. This is a plant-based riot. You guys, you are making the choice to live longer. My question is, what are you going to do with all that extra time? 
Think about it. Think about that. Uh, you guys, this has been fun. We should tune in. Tune in again soon. Tune in to the next episode for more uh, Garden Gab. Are we? Is that really a thing? Are we actually saying that? That sounds so lame. Garden Gab. I, I, I like love it. it. That's what it says. Well, Very eat well, plant eaters. So, be well. Don't be scared to show up at that one.